You're listening to episode 14 of Justice, Mercy, Faith, a podcast from The Christian Citizen. In this special episode, enjoy a conversation with regular Christian Citizen contributor, Dr. Cassandra Karkoff-Williams, the Director of Discipleship at the American Baptist Home Mission Societies, as interviewed by Christian Citizen editor, Curtis Ramsey Lucas. The two discuss a modern vision of discipleship and how the church has a chance to return to the Sunday School movement to uncover its passion and power to challenge culture and change lives. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas. I'm happy to have with us today Dr. Cassandra Karkoff-Williams. Casey is a regular contributor to The Christian Citizen, the author of Learning the Way, Reclaiming Wisdom from the Earliest Christian Communities, and Director of Discipleship Ministries at American Baptist Home Mission Societies. Tell us a little bit about your ministry with ABHMS and your hopes for discipleship ministries. Good morning, Curtis. Um, First, let me say thank you for this opportunity to talk about the Sunday School movement and its implications for discipleship ministries in the 21st century. As the National Director of Discipleship for the American Baptist Home Mission Societies, I work with a small team of people who are really dedicated uh, to promoting revitalized ministries of discipleship and faith formation. Our hope is to increasingly see innovative ministries that move people toward mature, authentic Christian faith, and also that help people create Christian communities that are grace-filled and become essentially the very presence of Jesus in the world. In your uh, recent article for The Christian Citizen titled Returning to Sunday School, you look back at the history of the Sunday School movement to uncover its passion and power to challenge culture and change lives. We have uh, so long associated Sunday School with the church that it may come as a surprise to our listeners that Sunday School got its start outside the church. Can you tell us a little bit about that history? Well, it's referred to as a movement, the Sunday School movement, which means that history looked back at multiple and diverse activities that had some relationship to one another, some similarities with one another, but they weren't an orchestrated program. So as history always is, it's a bit messy. And to respond to your question, I have to necessarily be a little bit simplistic, but in short, the roots of the Sunday school lie in England in the early decades of the Industrial Revolution. While there were instances of individual independent Sunday schools that preceded the work of Robert Rakes, it is Rakes who is credited with the systematization of Sunday school as an educational program for working children in urban centers. Rakes was a journalist and a prison reformer, and he turned his attention to these children who were basically running wild on Sundays. They're one day off from work, in part um, as an effort to prevent crime and reduce the prison population, and also because he held a conviction that education should not be a privilege for the wealthy alone. Now, these groups met in private homes, 
where children were taught to read and write with the Christian Bible as their primary text. They were also taught things like hygiene and given clean clothes and taught about what it meant to be a good citizen. That movement in England grew very rapidly. It spread geographically. And by the 1790s, it had crossed the Atlantic and we begin to see Sunday schools that model that same um, method of being an educational literacy endeavor for poor children in urban settings. The other piece of it for the U.S., and we're going to see that there are distinctions between what happened in England and what happened in the United States, is that in the United States, the Sunday school as a literacy movement was also seen as kind of a tool to support this newly founded republic to create good citizens for the republic. So did this effort um, initially in England to uh, to educate child factory workers and then as it came over to the United States to um, inculcate uh, good citizenship among uh, children. Did, did that movement initially find um, support or opposition from the church or some combination of, of those two? Well, <clears throat> it was a co- combination and it differed in the U.S., Uh, from what in England. In England, there was significant opposition from a couple of segments of the population. Rakes was a reformer, keep in mind. And the Sunday school movement, Sunday schools were often supported by reform-minded members of the upper class. They provided financial support. They often provided spaces for Sunday schools to meet. So church leaders were uncomfortable, to say the least, with that association with reform movements. In addition, church leaders resisted Sunday schools because uh, they felt that they violated Sunday as a day of rest. They were concerned about its focus on reading and writing as secular subjects. And, And interesting resistance came from the upwardly mobile middle class, which was a fairly new phenomenon in England. They resisted it because they felt that the movement was trying to raise the poor above their appropriate station in life. If you cross the Atlantic and look at what happened in the United States, there were detractors. Mostly those who were suspicious of the Sunday school because of its secular origin. However, eventually the church took note of it and pressed the Sunday school into service for its own purposes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How did how did something that at least was opposed in some quarters by the church, how did that then become um, a primary vehicle for uh, Christian education and discipleship formation? Well, that transition was much more pervasive and profound in the United States. So I want to focus more on that than on what happened in England. Hmm. 
there were two cultural phenomena that were instrumental in the adoption of Sunday school by the church. First was the Second Great Awakening, which saw the rise of evangelicalism, which at least historically has meant something quite different or more broad than what how it is currently used when we talk about evangelicals. So you had great, Second Great Awakening with this focus on evangelism and conversion and its influence on uh, Protestant denominations in the United States. There was also a change within the psychological community in the understanding of children and children's agency. So that now children were seen as candidates for conversion. So Protestant denominations seized Sunday school for themselves as an opportunity for conversion and regeneration of children. So what we ended up in the United States pretty early on were two streams. One was a stream of Sunday schools or first day schools that reflected the model from England. They were primarily educational. They focused on educating poor children. They focused on supporting and advocating for public, free public education. And with the rise of free public education over the decades, they moved toward filling the gaps and addressing the educational needs of those who were excluded from free public education. Girls, non-readers, because children had to be able to read before they were allowed into school. Adult women who had never had education and African-American children and adults. That's that educational stream. The religious stream had the express purpose of, as they put it, to organize, evangelize, and civilize. They taught reading and writing, but they did so as a means to an end. And the end was conversion and regeneration first of unchurched children and eventually the basic religious education of children from churched families. Now, keep in mind, their express purpose was to organize, evangelize, and civilize. And they did organize. We saw the rise of national Sunday school organizations, local Sunday school unions. There was Sunday school teacher training institutions, which is what Chautauqua Institution started as. There was tract publishing and eventually curriculum development and the uniform lesson series, which is a, was a curriculum, a joint curriculum focus among Protestant denominations. Interestingly enough, both groups, the religious and the educational groups, advocated for free public education. The educational stream out of a belief that all children deserved an education and it shouldn't be reserved for the rich. And the religious stream, in order to free up their time and energies from teaching, reading, and writing to focusing solely on religious formation. So what can we learn from uh, the Sunday school movement? What lessons might be applicable for the church today? 
Well, as I mentioned, we're talking about a very rich, diverse history of some multiple phenomena that spread across a, a century and that actually changed across the century. It emerged and it evolved. It responded to changing context. It looked different in different geographical locations. And if someone were to ask me today, was the Sunday school movement a good thing or a bad thing? I would have to respond, yes, it was. The value for us today of looking back at the Sunday school movement is that in its successes, as well as in its failures, in its altruism and generosity, as well as in its nationalism, classism, and ulteriority, the Sunday school movement just has so much insight to offer the Christian effort in the 21st century. And we only have time to maybe identify a few. And I would begin by saying that it reminds us that whatever we do, we do with mixed motivations. We do whatever we do through our own cultural lenses and with a degree of self-interest. That's simply the reality of being human in this world. So if that's the case, we might as well just move boldly, stride bravely into the hurt of this world and act in confidence, but do so also humbly with a willingness to change, to reevaluate, to reassess, to respond to changing conditions, but to also do so confidently, knowing that it's not all in our hands, knowing that whatever frailties we bring, we serve a God who has more power than human frailty, who has more power than cultural shifts, and who can bring about good because of our efforts and even in spite of our efforts and our frailties. And finally, I think for me, as someone whose work is dedicated around discipleship and faith formation, the Sunday School Movement reminds us to keep in mind that whatever efforts we make toward making a more just society, whatever social changes we accomplish, whatever structural changes we accomplish, that structures and systems are always subject to obstruction, <clears throat> to circumvention, to misuse. So any activity towards social change, and I am deeply committed to social change, efforts for social change as intrinsic to Christian discipleship. But those efforts must always be accompanied by activities and efforts to transform human hearts. Because ultimately, it's when people are transformed 
when people are touched by the grace of God, when they become new beings in Christ and how they treat themselves, how they treat their neighbors, how they treat their enemies, how they treat their nations, how they treat creation. When those things change, that's when substantial change occurs in the world. So I think probably the primary learning from the Sunday School movement is that it speaks to those who are focused on individual salvation and personal morality and future destination. And it reminds them that that is just one component of Christian discipleship. And we also work for social change. It also speaks for those who are dedicated to working for justice and social change and reminds them that Yes, we can make the world a better place through legislation, systemic change, but that those changes are always at risk. So we also have to work toward personal transformation, toward people encountering Christ in ways that change how they are in the world. In the United States today, um, we see a growth in the percentage of people who, while they may be spiritual or even religious, are not associated uh, with a church or other community of faith. What does Sunday school uh, look like in this context? I think I need to address that question from from two different perspectives. One is uh, from the perspective of the faith community or the churches that want to maintain traditional Sunday school as a vehicle for Christian formation. Secondly, I want to look at it in terms of what would the Sunday school impulse look like. First, for churches who see Sunday school as a valid and vibrant model for faith formation, and I think it is in some churches, they need to keep in mind, we need to keep in mind, that many of those people, a very large percentage of those people, especially those who are like in the 40, 50, 60-year-old range, were raised in Sunday school and other Christian formation programs within the church. And that's a large percentage of the people, percentage of the people who do identify themselves as spiritual or sometimes even religious, but are not associated with faith communities. So we have to face the fact that those programs may not have been as successful as we thought they were being at the time based on attendance based on participation. So I think it's important for churches, when they look at Sunday school, to consider moving away from schooling models, schooling models that focus on cognition, on teaching children about God, on having children memorize sentences uh, from a book that was written by adults for adults, and move toward considering the experience of children in the faith community, in the, in the Sunday school setting, however you devise that. If you talk to people, if I, when I talk to people and ask them, you know, about people of faith, 
people with a commitment to the church, ask them what was formative for them. They generally don't talk about the theological constructs they learned in Sunday school or the texts that they memorized in Sunday school. They talk about the relationships that nurtured them. They talk about the experiences that told them they were loved by God. So I would like to see churches who want to maintain Sunday school consider the experience of children. Consider the ways in which children, not just in what we would consider a Sunday school setting, but across the whole organization, experience embodied faith experience the love of God. So that's the piece for the kind of traditional Sunday school in the traditional church organization. Beyond that, I think the impulse for Sunday school, the impulse for the Sunday school movement can live on. I think it will look very different. It will necessarily look very different in different settings. And it may not even be called Sunday school. Unlikely, it probably wouldn't be called Sunday school. It starts with looking at our context and seeing where there is need, in particular need among children, and deciding how to bring the gospel of love to bear on that situation. I think, for example, that the situation with immigrant children in this country is begging for a response that reflects the spirit of Sunday school. A response from Christians, many of whom were raised in Sunday school and learned to sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. But there are many situations in our nation, in our world, where children have unaddressed needs and where if we follow the spirit of the Sunday school movement, we would reach out boldly, we would take risks, we would experiment and try to address those needs in the name of Jesus. What concerns you about the way forward and what gives you hope? Well, my my concern, now I, I have to be upfront about this and say that I was not raised in the church. I came to faith in my 20s. And even after 40 years of faith, and I'm giving away my age here, I still look at the church to a certain extent as an outsider, even though I'm deeply embedded in it. I've been in pastoral ministry. I'm devoted to the church in all of its manifestations. My concern as someone looking at the church is that kind of the loss of status of the Church of the United States due to a rapidly changing culture that is no longer church-friendly has left church folks often feeling disenfranchised and displaced and, and even hopeless. And in response to that, I often see churches developing this preoccupation with survival and internal focus which manifests itself in an allegiance to traditional ways of doing things, including traditional Sunday school. When I visit churches, 
and hear about what's going on and what would be helpful to them, I am almost always met with this desperate plea that goes like this. We need children in our Sunday school. How do we get children in our Sunday school? And I always respond as gently as I can is, why? Why do you want children in your Sunday school? And very often, they're stunned by that question because it seems like just an assumption that we have Sunday school, we need children in Sunday school. And often what I hear is, well, we need young families in our church or else our church is going to die. And if we reach out to the children, we'll likely get young families in the church. I'm concerned by both the question, you know, we need children for a Sunday school, how do we get children in our Sunday school? And, and the motive, motivation that's behind that. But I'm even more concerned about what I see as a, uh, an absence of hope that in this changing culture, um, without it being church friendly, we're not going to survive. We no longer matter. We, we're no longer important. However, on the other hand, I do have, have hope. I actually have a lot of hope. And it begins with the fact that what I've described to you is certainly not the case across the board. We are seeing from within both traditional faith communities, traditional churches, as well as outside of the traditional modes of church, we're seeing um, an emergence of innovative ministries, new manifestations of what it means to be the church, new ways of going about faith formation, faith initiation, which we used to refer to and commonly referred to as evangelism, and faith formation, which we is commonly referred to as Christian education. We're seeing people willing to step out in faith, take risks, experiment. And those are the kind of efforts that the discipleship team and the American Baptist Home Mission Societies in general is committed to encouraging and supporting and, and celebrating as a way to offer hope. The other hope, source of my hope, is about the things that are unchanging. What's unchanging is our power source. Our sustenance flows, not from an accommodating society, but from the God who called the church into being and whose power is very different from the power in the world and whose power is ultimately more powerful than any cultural shifts in any changing context. That's unchanging, is God is our power source. And the second thing that's unchanging is our calling. That remains the same no matter what's going on around us. All the changes in our world simply have revealed to us that there's still and even more so, an absolute depth of need for concrete witnesses to the gospel, concrete witnesses to a power that is very different from the powers that are at work in the world. Our calling to live out the gospel and to bear witness to the gospel remains unchanged after nearly, what, two millennia since Jesus first announced the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent, and believe in the good news. And that is hope. Thank you, Casey. I appreciate you taking the time to join us for this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. To learn more about what the Sunday School movement might teach us today, read Casey's article, Returning to Sunday School in the Christian Citizen at christiancitizen.us. Thank you very much. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thank you to this week's guest, Dr. Cassandra Karkoff-Williams. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Sarah Strosel Kagi, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. Our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Peyton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit the website christiancitizen.us. Justice Mercy Faith will be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.